On today's podcast, a former governor of Minnesota, along with a former major league pitcher, together talking Mick Fleetwood, Bruce Hornsby, ACDC, and their first rock and roll shows. Dave Lee here, along with our producer, Brianne, and welcome to today's episode of My First Concert. For some reason, most of us remember that very first concert we saw. And so, on my first concert, we talk about that, and usually it evolves into other conversations. Dave Lee here along with Brianne. Brianne, how are you? I'm doing really well. How are you? Well, so far, so good. So these shows have been uh, fascinating. I'm learning a lot. I feel like I'm becoming uh, more enriched because of these stories and all the people we're talking to. And we got some great guests here today, as you've already heard. We'll introduce them again. Uh, talk North Podcast Network is where you're listening to us. But you can listen wherever you get your podcasts, at Apple or Spotify. And I want to thank uh, the folks at Propane, the environmentally friendly energy for everyone that are bringing this program to you here on Talk North Podcast Network. So let's bring in our guests. First of all, former governor of Minnesota, uh, Governor Tim Pawlenty. How are you? I'm doing great, Dave. Thanks for having me on the podcast. And I've known for a long time that uh, you have great musical interests, and we wanted to bring you in here this morning. And joining us is uh, your longtime friend and my buddy, Dana Kicker, former pitcher of the Boston Red Sox. Dana, thanks for coming in. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, David. And uh, in fact, Dana, let me start off with this. I saw a video last night, Governor, of Dana Kicker in the background in Boston when you were pitching back, I think it was 91, perhaps, that this happened. Can you can you tell us about this video before I ask you about your very first concert? Absolutely. It was uh, 1991 April, and the season just began, and somebody from the Red Sox came down. They were looking for two members to present an award at the Boston Music Awards show. And I didn't really know what the Boston Music Awards show was. But uh, as you know, Dave, I grew up and I was a drummer and I drummed in bands and I've always loved music and, and not just baseball. And uh, as soon as I heard that, uh, Dennis Lamp, another pitcher next to me who was into music, I said, deep track. I forgot about Dennis Lamp. (laughs) I said, hey, let's do this. And so we go up to this person and he says, we can be available. So they they chose us. And um, we presented uh, the year before. We were the American uh, League East Division champions and everything. We talked about that a little bit. But then uh, we presented the 1991 winner of the Boston Music Awards, and it was New Kids on the Block. Holy smokes, Brian! how about that? Wasn't that one of your... No, you went to see NSYNC on your first concert, didn't yes, you? Yes, they're a little bit kind of a different generation for me, but I mean, they're. I'd be excited to see them. Yeah. They're coming to town in June. They Next are, month, and, yeah. and it's the closest that I could ever be to the Beatles, because the Beatles were before me, mm-hmm. but you hear, you see the footage, and the girls screaming and everything, and as soon as we announced that they had won, there had to have been thousands Thousands of teenage girls there, and I just felt like I was at a Beatles concert at that time. You never felt confused that they were cheering and screaming for you and well, Dennis. At first, we were hopeful, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it didn't work that way. But I was just amazed uh, that uh, there was still some footage out there. That's the great thing about the internet now. Yeah, because I had never seen that. I remember being there, and I was trying to remember what the date was and everything. And sure enough, there's something on YouTube that had my face on. And it. that was a place called the Wang Center. Is that right? The Wang Center. I guess I, I would compare it to maybe. Like like the Orpheum here, a lot of history, a lot of plays. Uh, just a little uh, larger, a, a, a little bit. A little bit larger, but just awesome acoustics. Uh, 
uh, the band Extreme played at that time. And they had the number one hit yes. two weeks later, which more was than words, more, more than, than words. words. So I'm sitting backstage just watching those two dudes. I mean, you know, <laughs> sitting rapping with them and everything. And it was uh, it was a fun time. But I never really thought about that until you brought this uh, podcast up. So I reflected back. So thanks, David. Did the Backstreet Boys perform? They did not. Okay. They did not. Just took their warden. They just took their warden and went home. Exactly. <laughs> so thousands of screams. Governor Little, did you know? Wow. I have a whole new level of respect <laughs> for Mr. Kicker. <laughs> I, I have a boy band story, Dave. Yeah, really? Yes. So I, I'm somewhere. I can't remember the city. And there's a commotion out in front of the hotel. I get back from whatever I'm doing. And I go through the lobby and I get on the elevator and some guys in suits are trying to keep me off the elevator, but I'm already on. So they let me stay after kind of eyeballing me. And then four or five young men, late teen people get on the elevator. And, uh, and they're, I'm like, what are you guys doing there? We're a band. And what's your name? One Direction. And, um, <laughs> and I don't know them from Adam. I mean, I just right. I dismiss it. But I'm talking to my wife and kids an hour or two later on the phone. And I said... You know, I was just riding up the elevator with some band. There was a bunch of people screaming out in front of the hotel and taking pictures. I didn't know what was going on. And it was a band. It was a teen band. And my girls are like, what was their name? I said, One Direction. Like, you were up the elevator with One Direction? I'm like, I've never heard of them. Didn't know who they were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're just, you embarrassed them so right, right, terribly right. right there with One Direction. Uh, so let's go to the very first concert, or, or among the first. Do you do you remember anything? I do, I do. Although my memory now, as I'm getting older, is not as good as it used to be. <laughs> but it, it was Bruce Springsteen at the old St. Paul Civic Center, oh my. and um, I think I was in high school or very early college, and. It was fantastic. I was sort of a Bruce fan, but then, of course, you can't go, especially back then when he was doing the epic, you know, epic uh, concerts. And, you know, I was just enamored with him, sort of his image, the what I perceived was his message to me personally. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, on that point, I, I, John Mellencamp once said, when you write music, you can never put the lyrics right on the nose. In other words, it has to be vague enough for people with different problems, challenges, hopes, and dreams to interpret it in a way that it applies to all of them, regardless of, of a particular circumstance. So I thought that was a good insight. So, uh, and I'll have to have you listen to it because as Springsteen, when he came in in 84 and did the Courtney Cox video, Dancing in the Dark, yep. they did it twice. But earlier on the podcast, our second episode, I think, Bree, wasn't That's it? That's correct. Yep, with John, John Maher. And John Maher described... The day before, when they did what eighteen to twenty takes yep, of it, eighteen takes. And I think the if I recall correctly, wasn't the concert at one arena and they did the video at the other one? One was at Met Center and one was in St. Paul, I think. Yeah, they did the video or they did the concert at at St. Paul. I at think the they Civic. shot the video at the Met, if I recall. Every time I think of the Civic, I either think of concerts or the State High School yeah, hockey yeah, tournament. Yeah, with those yeah. big, you know, I think that was about eight. So. Um, that was Dancing in the Dark, so maybe 84. I so yeah. I think my first concert would have been like late 70s, early 80s, maybe Darkness on the Edge of Town or something like that. Who'd you go with? Uh, I went with a high school friend from South St. Paul, yeah, who's a Springsteen fanatic. Did you drive over there? Did somebody give you a ride? Do you remember? I think he drove, although we, when we used to go to downtown St. Paul, 
you know, particularly to the St. Paul Auditorium to watch AWA wrestling. We'd oh. take the bus. <laughs> we'd drop a coin in South St. Paul on the bus, and we'd go down there, watch AWA wrestling, and then hit the White Castle on the way home. There was a White Castle not too far from the auditorium. Who were the wrestlers that you oh, who were the big Don't stars? get me started, Dave. But, you know, we had Vern Gagne, Nick Bockwinkle, Bobby Heenan. Bobby you know, the Brain. Of course, the high flyers, Jim Brunzel and Greg Gagne later. And by the way, Jim Brunzel, a huge Springsteen fan, and uh, knows uh, Springsteen's manager, John Lindau, Landau, and um, he got me actually a signed message from Springsteen at one point, which I cherished. Oh, yeah. And though, yeah, though, the, the wrestling uh, in those days was that was it, man. Well, Every after this podcast, I still know Dr. X's figure four leg lock. It might be obscure <laughs> to some, but with your permission, I'll put it on uh, you right after this podcast. Dana would be much more preferable to that because I know it so well, but you don't. So Dana maybe. loves the claw, by the way. I've, I've, he asked, he asked me to put the claw on him. He likes it. He thinks it's cranial stimulation. You were going to do that yesterday because I hadn't mowed your lawn yet, <laughs> yeah. so you're going to claw me to get that done. We'll get that done this afternoon. Yeah. Remind me at some point to tell you my Mad Dog Vashon story. All right. Uh, Dana, your first concert? It was um, at the Minnesota State Fair Grandstand, August 23rd, 1979, and Styx was playing, and that year I was a 4-H ambassador, so I think you know that I was heavily involved in the 4-H program, and Every year they pick 12 kids from around the whole state to come and we take care of the kids that are at the 4-H building at the fair. So there's like three, 400 kids that are there from age 8 all the way up to 18. And then one night um, they give us tickets to take the kids to a performance and there's shows every night. Mm -hmm. And I was just fortunate that... It was Styx, who was my group. I mean, the Grand Illusion album came out in, in 77 and Pieces of Eight, 78. Every year for like eight years straight, they they had an album out, and they were hot at that time. Dennis and it D. Was Young just, was with them at the time, Dennis right? Dennis D. Young, uh, James Young, Tommy Shaw had, had, Tommy was Shaw, with them at yeah. that time. And it was just, uh, it was just a highlight because growing up in Fairfax, unlike South St. Paul, we couldn't take a bus downtown to go to any of these venues. So... Uh, that was my first opportunity, and uh, what was cool, it all comes full circle. Julie, my wife, and I, we saw him at the Myth Event Center in 2007. Again, we were in the front row, and at the oh end of the my, concert, they blew row. up. They, 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 well, <laughs> it only holds like 2,000 <laughs> people, um, but uh, they had beach balls that had sticks on, and Tommy Shaw saw her out of the, out of the corner of his eye, imagine I'll that, he did. and just kind of popped one to her, and she... You know, grab the beach ball. So, uh, and we're going to see them in September 3rd up at the Amsoil Arena in Duluth with Ario Speedwagon and Loverboy. So, uh, Styx always was and continues to be one of my favorite rock groups. I drummed to them forever and ever. Were you ever in the front row for a concert, Tim? Yes, I well, I, I have been in the front row and have had some good seats for other concerts as well. But um, you know, Mellencamp. I've been in the front row, and um, he didn't put out a cigarette in front of you, did he? Because remember, he's he used a to smoker. smoke and he, put well, those. He like, still does. He yeah. still does. He's um, actually, I had a chance to meet him backstage, and okay. he and uh, he his dad was here for Starkey, by the way, to get his uh, hearing aids put in. And so when his dad came in the room, 
we pretended like we were all talking, but we weren't saying anything to <laughs> try to confuse the dad that his hearing aids weren't working. And then, of course, you know, we, yeah. it was a joke. But <laughs> well, as long as John was in. Yeah, Mellencamp is interesting because he says, you know, you can smoke, drink and do drugs. You can do two of the three of smoking, drinking and doing drugs. You can do two of the three and, and be OK. And of course, there's no scientific basis for this, but this is his assertion. So he smokes and doesn't drink or do drugs, but he, his conclusion is it's, he's lived this long, notwithstanding the fact that he's just a chronic smoker because he doesn't uh, drink. Man, so how, but he was cordial and... It's terrific. I mean, the, he, and, you know, of course, he's known for being crabby and, you know, sort of sure. cynical, and, but he couldn't have been more gracious. And his politics and mine are, you know, very opposite, <laughs> yeah. uh, but he couldn't have been more gracious. Did he have his FFA jacket on? He always wore his FFA jacket. He did? Oh, oh, yeah. He Future, was Far- in Indiana, oh yeah. Future Farmers of America. You, you're right. His Farm Aid concerts, he always had his FFA jacket on. It was pretty cool. One of my cool. closest friends uh, grew up in Bedford, which was next to Seymour. So he grew up with, or a little younger than Mellencamp, but he knew him quite well. It was kind of fun. They, they had a the whole thing, you know, like a buffet set up, and his wife, his then wife, was there. And you know, it was casual. They were sitting around eating dinner. And we had a, a little you know, buffet dinner with him. And then, and then they kick everybody out, and then they go do the, you know, they put on their show clothes and get ready for the show. But it was, it was uh, interesting to see how casual they all, you know, they've all been doing this for decades and decades. And, you know, it's not like he's all riled up about having to go out and sing these songs for the 900th time. The only two people I think I've had dinner with celebrity-wise, music-wise, was, uh, and I didn't really have them, uh, but I sat next to him and talked to him at Matt's. South Minneapolis Skid Row, <laughs> and I took a and I did. They were outside, and we were walking in. Uh, my wife and I were walking into to Matt's to have a juicy Lucy, and this these guys, most of them wearing you know black shirts, long hair, and they looked like a rock and roll band. And of course, I like some heavy. I like heavy metal, frankly. And so they walk in. I don't recognize anybody. Sebastian, none of them in it. And so they, they're trying to take a picture. I said, hey, why don't I take the picture under the mat sign for you? That'd be great. I said, man, you guys look like you're in a rock band. Yeah, we just played over in Kadat. We just wanted to come into Matt's and have a burger. I said, oh, what's the name of the band? Skid Row. And, oh you know, because they sold gazillions of albums. And my wife, of course, never, how are your buddies at Skid Row doing? The ones that you know. <laughs> but... So they were just sat in mats. Nobody knew who they were, having a good time. And the other time was not music. We were in Japan, in Tokyo, there to see Fritz Mondale, spent a week at the, um, when he was ambassador. And we went over to see Aki Bono, the grandmaster sumo champ. And Aki invited us to lunch. And I said, are you, are you in a, you know, you know how big those guys were. And I said, are you in a special diet? He said, and of course he, he said, yeah, seafood diet. I see food, I eat it. And then, <laughs> Uh, anyway, Bree, were you going to say something? Yeah, the first uh, front row concert experience is always kind of so memorable. And when I was 16, I somehow just with timing and everything, I ended up front row for the Killers, and it was just oh, so cool. And it was really kind of at their height. And yep. Sam's Town, my favorite album of theirs, had just come out, and I don't know, made eye contact a few times with a few Ooh. of them, and it just felt kind of cool. So you know, <laughs> I, where I first heard the Killers, where watching the OC TV show. That's so funny you say that. That's one of my favorite TV shows, and I've been watching it. And exactly, that really, it's funny you say that because just a little digression here. It was a great platform for more independent alternative artists yes, at the time because the there time. was no internet and thing and kind of platforms like that. So I really appreciate that about it. And if anyone, I can't suggest it enough if you really like that kind of uh, mid-2000s music to check that out. Wasn't one of the female stars 
Was it Olivia Wilde? Is she the one that married Jason Sudeikis eventually, and then they've had some issues since? Man, you are right right on the money. She's not one of the main stars, but, yeah, she has a very big – she's a character on it. That's where I first saw her. Yeah. Wow. The Killers, yeah. They, I, and they're never great, seen them. yeah. They, they have to be great. Uh, um, Governor, there was a time, Dana, you don't know this. When uh, I, I'm sorry, I always call you Governor, no, former well, Governor. Tim, Tim is fine. Yeah, I know yeah. Tim from Egan. That's what I got to be like Sid and do that one. But um, – so I really like ACDC, and one of the best concerts I've ever seen was ACDC years ago. They just, maybe because it was the first time I saw them, and everything, they're doing all this stuff on a video board. It doesn't match what they're doing on a stage, and they're just having a blast. And so it was a kick. And so I remember uh, when you were sitting governor, and you came in and did the show all the time, uh, that I said, hey, listen, any chance you want to go see ACDC? And so I got four tickets, because we were going to go with our wives, and I, so I purposely got the front row in the, in the first, second deck, right over the stage. So no one would see or bother you. And then, unfortunately, we never got to, I went, but you didn't get a chance to go to that concert. Well, I don't know what caused that conflict. I would have loved to have gone, Dave, and I wish I'm sure something of consequence came up. But uh, <laughs> You were uh, running a state uh, at the I did, time. I yeah. did uh, get eventually to see ACDC, including uh, Mary and I were out to dinner. I mean, this is five, ten years ago. I can't remember. It was one of the last ACDC concerts that this configuration of ACDC did before the, the lead singer had his uh, more, more recent and uh, recurring voice problems. Anyway, I, met, uh, I think it was Valentine's Day, say, five years ago. And we're at dinner, and it looks like it's just going to wind down at 7 and head back to Egan and, you know, watch Netflix and, and go to bed. <laughs> and at the end of the dinner, we're finishing up dinner, and we're downtown St. Paul, and Mary says, you know, the night's not over just yet. And, and she wanted to go to dinner early, suspiciously early, and she slaps down on the table two awesome seats for ACDC oh that my, night, oh. that night. And so we went from dinner to the X and watched ACDC, and it was fantastic. And, of course, they lit it up. Um, but then just one or two concerts later, they they were done because of his voice. Now, I read the other day he might try to make one more comeback. I guess it wasn't his voice. It's his ears. It's his hearing, um, not his voice. But uh, he's going to try one more time to try to do concerts and not go deaf. Yeah. Well, yeah, they put they you don't get cheated on when you buy an ACDC oh, ticket. Oh, no, no. So uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, baseball and concerts and a chance to meet artists here in just a second. I do want to say thank you to the folks at uh, Propane for uh, a big reason, and that's about reducing carbon emissions. I think we all know that's good for everyone. We understand that that's uh, the mantra right now, that we're all trying to reduce emissions. And yet you've got to meet this world's increasing energy needs, right? So using propane, and you may not have known this, is a really excellent way to reduce emissions while we meet those energy needs I just talked about. It's clean. It's non-toxic. It's an energy source. It helps reduce carbon emissions right now. In fact, propane's carbon intensity score, and you're saying, I don't know anything about a carbon intensity scores, but listen to these numbers, even if you don't, because propane's carbon intensity score in Minnesota is only 80. Grid Electricity in Minnesota, including wind and solar, has a much higher carbon intensity score of 136. So who knew that using propane was that much cleaner than electricity? And there's abundance of it, too, by the way. And the growth of renewable propane means it can be used for the generations yet to come. So think about it when you get a chance today. Millions of us rely on propane to heat our homes and our businesses. We fuel vehicles on-road and some of us off-road and much more. So it makes propane the right energy right now. Find out more about what propane can do for you and the environment by just going to, this is easy, propane.com, propane.com.
Dana, let's talk about being a professional athlete and concerts because you had some tie-ins because of your days with the Red Sox. I did. And when I was out in Boston, um, Billy McDonald, who was uh, um, a young man that I befriended, little did I know it at the time because when you'd see him, he didn't look like the type of person that would rub elbows with, uh, 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 with professional musicians. But he, was, uh, he knew Bruce Hornsby very well. And Bruce Hornsby was in town, so he comes up to me. He says, hey, Bruce Hornsby, you know, the big baseball fan. In fact, Mark Langston was a pitcher for the California Angels at that time, and they were best friends. And when he was out there, he would regularly shag fly balls during BP and everything. And he asked me, Bruce Hornsby's in town, and he wants to come to Fenway Park, and he'd like to shag fly balls. What can you do? So I said, well, let me see what I can do, you know, one of those things. And we get him on the field, and he's out in right field, and we're playing 500 and everything, and uh, <laughs> taking pictures. And 500, I forgot all, about 500. All of a sudden, I says, well, we're not just going to shag. You know, we're going to have a, make a game out of this. And it was just a cool dude. And, and all of a sudden, somebody from the Boston front office comes down onto the field, and they said, who, who, who gave permission for Bruce Hornsby to be out on the field? <laughs> and he, as you know, I'm not a, a name player, but I raised my hand, and he said, he's with me, you know? <laughs> and he says, well, he can't be out here. And I says, well, why can't he be out here? And he says, well, because of the liability, if he would miss a ball or hurt a finger or whatever, they'd afraid he'd get sued. So then I said, well, can he, can he, where can he stay? And he says, well, in, in Fenway Park, the bullpen's beyond the right field fence. So he stood out there pretty pissed off or whatever, you know, along that line with his glove because he wanted to shag fly sure. balls. But uh, uh, just, a, j- j- just a very nice, uh, nice, nice one. I just remember he had twin daughters. We talked about that. and But I think the, the biggest thing from my baseball days were playing. I would have just said, that's the way it is. Yeah, that's just the way it is. Well, maybe you did see that, and that's exactly. why he came up with that song. I don't know. <laughs> we were playing, uh, the, we just pulled into town. We are playing the Twins in 91 at the Metrodome. And I had just pitched the last game in Kansas City, so I wasn't pitching in the three-game series we were playing at the Metrodome. So you're a little bit looser and everything, you know, when you're, you know, you don't have to perform. And it was an afternoon game, and all I can remember over the PA, Bob Casey or somebody, I heard him talk about um, Fleetwood Mac is going to do the national anthem. And I'm going, well, Fleetwood Mac, like Styx, was one of those groups, you know, that I followed all the way through. Oh, Mick yeah, Fleetwood was a drummer just like me. So the security guy, John, the security guy, who was a security guard outside of our, our clubhouse, knew me because I was a local guy and everything. And I, I said, John, is there any way you can find out where who's playing? And he radios his other guy who was doing security, you know, for them. And it's, uh, uh, it's Mick Fleetwood and Billy Burnett. Now I'm going to give you some trivia. Who is Billy Burnett? Uh, not the old singer, Billy Burnett. I'm thinking of Dor- remember Dorsey Burnett? Dorsey Burnett. So yeah. it's his son. So it's in, his kid. In eighty seven, Lindsey Buckingham departed from Fleetwood Mac. And guess who they asked to join the band when Lindsey Buckingham Billy Burnett? Billy Burnett. So Billy wow, Burnett. I never and knew Mick, that. Mick Fleetwood. Tim, did you know that? No. Mick Fleetwood were in the Metrodome, and he gets me down there, and we knock on the door, and <laughs> Billy Burnett's sitting there with his guitar. He's playing something, and Mick, they didn't sing, but they played it acoustically, and Mick did some drumming type of thing or whatever, and I said, well, I got to get their autograph, and you're sitting in the club. In the club. Well, I grab a baseball. I don't know why. 
But I bet you, I don't know how many baseballs, and I hadn't taken it out of the case in 30 years, but this is a baseball. A good American, autograph. A pretty good them. autograph. It's legible because Billy was struggling. I don't know. He was struggling. Yeah, you don't want to know too much. Uh, no, I didn't. Yeah. Uh, he was struggling. But I got a Mick Fleetwood ball and wow. a, a, a autograph and Billy Burnett. And then I got a, a Bruce Hornsby one, too. And I pulled those out of the case and I kept them in separate stockings. That's how much I really appreciate those. Oh, yeah. I got to get a photo of those. And then we were in Cleveland. Bruce R. Hornsby, huh? Uh, Bruce right? R. We were in Cleveland and we got done. It was a 4th of July game after the game. And uh, um, the Beach Boys were playing, and they came out, and we got to sit on the stage. And the place was like 48,000 people at Municipal Stadium for, for this game because there was fireworks afterwards. And, and that was cool. I mean, you, you met them. I didn't get any autographs. I wasn't yeah. thinking enough. But you're just sitting on the stage. They brought this mobile stage out right on home plate. We got to just hang out right there. I mean, as a musician, it was, uh, it was a thrill of a lifetime just kind of hanging there and, uh, and listening and watching them. Man, Mick Fleetwood, though, yeah, for a drummer, that's the guy. Tim, memorable concerts for you. What stands oh, out? Oh, well, so many, Dave. I, I love music, and I, I think among the many other qualities of music is if you find something that you really like, it can transport you to other places and times and your memory and imagination, and it's just a, it's a great source of joy for me. One concert that stands out for me is when you 2 came to the University Stadium outdoors, and... The concert started and a rain started and it wasn't threatening with lightning. So you two just kept playing. And so there was this sort of medium strength rain throughout the concert. And I thought at first this was going to be a disaster, but it turned in to be incredible. I mean, it made the night, I thought, even more special. And, you know, the band embraced it. Bono embraced it. And, you know, they were making fun and having fun with it. And it was a fantastic um, concert, I thought. And, and, you know, of course, I've had other other ones as well, but that one stands out just because I thought the the showmanship and the effort and the joy that they put into it under difficult circumstances really shine through. I was there that night in the second deck. It was very wet up there. It was wet. Yeah, we we brought ponchos, so maybe we were a little more dry. But it was uh, it was I thought it, it was very memorable. It was yeah. You're right. That enthusiasm they maintained. It's like <clears throat> what weather? They just kept right, going. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah, and that was a great crowd. And remember, they postponed that for what a year because he got in a bike accident or two years maybe. Yeah, they fell down on a bike. I couldn't remember if that was before or after that concert. But yeah, yeah I think they did postpone it. And uh, of course, if you're Bono, getting a little older, tooling around on a bike, and you wipe out break stuff that's not good no not at all so yeah that was a great concert anything else stand out for you what's the first one you took your wife to do you know i think mary and i the first concert we went to was in uh, roughly 19 mid 1980s late 1980s Mellencamp came to the old met center and he had his cherry bomb album alone uh, so lonesome jubilee sorry the album was lonesome jubilee some one of the hits was cherry bomb and so he had transformed his career from that time from the old pop you know Johnny Cougar to Johnny Cougar Mellencamp, and he was trying to get into a fusion of rock and Americana. You know, that's when he brought in the violinist and, yeah. and more fiddles and sticks kind of background music. So that, I, and that was, I think, his best, in my opinion, his best album, the Lonesome Jubilee album. Showed a little more depth and range than just his other pop stuff. Are you still spinning vinyl at home? No, no. And I, you know, I, I'm also trying to move on. Or, or add to just rock because I, I read this article about this uh, from the psychiatrist who said we get stuck. Your musical preferences, almost without exception, get defined in your mid-teens to early adulthood. 
And then people never get out of the rut. They just stay there. You know, Dana's stuck with sticks and lover boy. And, you know, I got Springsteen and everybody's got their thing. But you, but if you think about. And he's just going to reinforce them now by going to another concert. But but he he said that psychologically and just from a human pattern standpoint, you get stuck in your musical world as it existed between, say, age 15 and 30. And very few people are able to genuinely embrace new and different kinds of music that doesn't fit in that range. So I've I've been very purposeful uh, lately trying to not set aside classic rock, but but to, uh, add to my portfolio very because there's only so many times you can listen to some of these songs. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going back to high school. And it's like, oh my god, if I have to run one more time to fill in the blank song, I'm going to vomit. Uh, <laughs> and so finding new song, yeah. music is really fun and interesting, and it's an adventure. And especially if you got Spotify or Apple Music or one of the other services, it's endless. And, and there's some great new stuff as well. So I'm trying not to always look in the review mirror. I'm trying to musically look forward as well. Yeah, that, and I do like the way they do that because if you know you'll pick uh, say play whatever song uh, uh, and I use Apple a lot and all of a sudden they've got a stream of about ten or twenty different ones and some that I've never heard. Yeah, that's a great idea. I'm glad they're doing that. I'm glad you're doing that. Kind of keeps you sharp, to say the least. It's true though, because my wife tells me that all the time. Because I am stuck in classic rock. Now she's a group fitness instructor, so she knows all genres up and down because yeah. she has huge diversity within within you know her uh, her members that take her classes and everything but uh, but I like it I'm a stubborn german so I don't know maybe you'll rub off on me a little bit more and we'll we'll branch out to to different genres well you you know you had groupies at one time didn't you <laughs> still does <laughs> still does <laughs> oh yeah those were the days so when you were on stage with with the beach boys was that a little nerve-wracking or not really were no you? we just we we're just i mean we're on stage I and mean, this is a huge stage it was uh, they brought it out yeah, it's like you were performing no but... it wasn't but we were just hanging there i mean it was uh you know you just they're just performing and everybody's you know watching them and everything it was uh when you're 29 years old or just just a just a cool time and we went at the end of spring training we always stopped in Washington DC this is before Washington had a baseball team and we played a exhibition two exhibition games at JFK Stadium against the Orioles because they were trying to drum up enthusiasm to get a team which obviously worked in, in the later years, but Chris Isaac was sitting and talking to him at that time. No kidding. What a he's great saying, entertainer. He, oh, very much so. He's, he's saying the national anthem. Larry King's on one side and Chris Isaac's on the other side, you know, going to sing the national anthem. And here's this farm kid from Fairfax, Minnesota, just kind of hanging Fairfax, out there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. It, uh, uh, but you really appreciate uh, just how down-to-earth these people are. You're talking about John... John Cougar, I mean, they're just, you know, they always say they put their pants on the same way we do. And they like just sitting and talking about, you know, farming in Fairfax or whatever you do. And uh, so many people just kind of put them up on a pedestal and I can see how that happens. But, you know, they're just real folks like the three of us just sitting around here and and just rapping. And that's what I probably enjoyed the most. Yeah. Sometime I'll tell you the Yogi Berra potato story. We're talking potatoes. It's a good one. Yeah. It's so... You mentioned that, you know, but you saw ACDC and then they kind of took went a hiatus yeah, afterwards. Yeah, yeah. And it made me think about, I saw Merle Haggard. I was still dating my wife and I took her to Merle Haggard. You know, I mean, she's like country music. I don't think so. But I said, I said, this guy, I thought Haggard had kind of a blue. I always grew up liking blues. My dad used to play a lot of it on the guitar. And so 
I also thought Haggard had a bit of that blues in his music, and I really liked it. And so I took her to see Merle Haggard, who was fantastic. And then after the show, I think it was that week, maybe it was right after the show that week, he kind of disappeared. No one could find the hag. The hag was missing. He was, I think, in the mountains of Colorado just, you know, decompressing. So, you know, for us seeing them, it's exciting, but I suppose for them, you know, concert yeah. after concert, it's a little challenging. Yeah, like Dana said, they're real people, and um, I think I think it was, I can't remember who it was. I watched an interview once, and they said, you know, the classic question is always, how can you go out every night or every other night and do the same songs over and over again? And he said, look, we rehearse these things for a reason. And I think Bon Jovi was here a couple of weeks ago, and he, he said for his concert, he's been doing this for decades and decades, basically the same songs, and he, they rehearsed for some very substantial amount of time before he came to St. Paul and did his second or third concert of this most recent tour. And he, and it wasn't Bon Jovi, but somebody else said, this is a show and we call it a show for a reason. And, you know, we are putting on a show mm -hmm. and we rehearse these things. And of course, to the audience, it looks fresh, but it's basically robotically presented. Same song, same order, right. same gestures, same moves, same everything. Because, you know, you get out there, you get tired, you get fatigued and you have to default to this is how we program ourselves to do this. And he said, whether it's genuine energy and authenticity or whether we're faking it, it's a show, but we at least have to fake it. <laughs> and he said, no, I can't honestly tell you. It was Keith Richards, actually. Was Keith Richards was sitting next to uh, uh, one of the other Stones. And of course, he was asked some, basically what I just am telling you. And he said, you know, it's just on it. To be honest, it's not every night we feel like going out there. You know, some nights you got a cold, some nights you got a headache, yeah. sometimes you got a family problem, you got some other issue going on, your ankles hurt, your knees hurt, and you got to get out there and present as if, you know, you're going to play uh, you know, Sympathy for the Devil or whatever, with as if you just learned it last week, yeah. um, with that kind of new enthusiasm. And the, the best show men and women have that spirit, I think, when they present. And you can't tell whether they're you know, genuinely excited or just faking excitement. But either way, they put on a good show. Because there's occasions, and I bet you both have been to a concert too, where the performer didn't do what you were hoping they were doing. Absolutely. And that's where you got the big debate. Well, they're the performer, they're choosing, but I came to hear whatever. Yeah. Did you ever go to it? Oh, go ahead. You're right on, Tim, because I'm going back when I was in college at St. Cloud State. Jerry Jeff Walker in 81 went with Buddy Schneider, my catcher, and uh, um, uh, Therese, who was became his wife. It was like her first date. And, and anyhow, all I remember is we, he, he smuggled in this little pint of old log cabin whiskey, <laughs> which was the worst stuff I've ever tasted. You know, it took a couple of, but, but, you had but, 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 but anyhow, <laughs> and you get to meet him afterwards. And then two years later, Charlie Daniels played up there. And then I was working security, you got to work the pit, you know, right in front. So you're right by him and everything. But afterwards you get to meet, they wanted to meet the security folks and you could see that they enjoyed sitting down and just talking to us almost more than just performing. So what you're saying is night after night after night, and they love their, they love their audience, of course, because it sells records and that's how they make money. But I think they enjoyed the break of just sitting and talking with real people. Hey, what do you do? You're going to school. I mean, he was, I remember I said, I play baseball. He was fast. Charlie Daniels was fascinated with that. I was more fascinated when you get in there 
Um, I mean, they had all green M&Ms, which back then, I mean, so they, they would have their list of what they wanted to eat, and it was very detailed. They wanted to just make sure somebody had read the contract. Yeah, right? and it must be, because it was yeah. just right down. We only had this many of this and that type yeah. of that and this type of beer and whatever they were drinking. And uh, uh, Jack Daniels, obviously, whiskey that was there. But uh, <laughs> that, those were memorable, just sitting, I mean, for five minutes and talking with these people that we put on a pedestal that were great. Yeah. And they just like to sit and just chat with us about what we were doing. One of the genres I've gotten into, particularly since my kids were in high school, is is country. And we saw Garth Brooks a couple times at the Wynn in Vegas, which sounds sort of cheesy because it's Vegas, but it was just Garth and a guitar. And it was we were in had very good seats the whole auditorium. Everybody had a good seat. There's very few people there, maybe 2,000 or less, maybe 1,500. And the premise was Garth would come out with just a guitar and give you a history of modern music, starting with Jones and Haggard. Uh, and and then he would walk you through kind of the 60s and 70s, and it was just a cappella, him and a guitar, and he did 90 minutes or whatever. And it was fantastic, partly because it was his his version of what ha- how music has evolved over the last 30 years, and partly because he's an incredibly talented musician and singer and had shined through at various points of the show. But also to this point, he was doing two shows a night, back to back. You know, he'd do a six o'clock show and a nine o'clock show or whatever it was. And you would have thought, Dave, and I saw the show twice. So, I mean, it's exact same gestures, exact same. But he came out as if, you know, the, he, he had never received a reception like this before. I mean, his eyes lit up and, you know, by the end, he's doing the same wiping of the brow. And, you know, my gosh, he's just overcome with appreciation for everybody being there. And, you know, he's, he did that between six and eight and he's doing it between <laughs> nine and 11 and he was doing it four nights a week. But he, every time he came out and Springsteen has the same gift, which is every song, every night, they make it appear as if it is 110% every song, every night. And I think those are the best concerts. You know who are uh, female singers, one of my all-time favorites is his wife, Trisha Trisha Yearwood. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. She's oh, what a voice. Terrific, terrific. Bree, before we leave, you got any, anything you want from these two guys? You want anything you want to ask them? I do. Um, has there ever been a concert? I'm sure probably two of you have ever been to, but have the three of you ever been to a concert together or anything like that? No. Not that we know of. Not that you know, that of. We know of. yeah. Weird, the connection, though, with the U2 concert then, too. But have you guys been to a concert? No, we haven't. Well, Come on, guys. I've I suggest Dana that. Play. I've seen Dana's band play. They're <laughs> okay, pretty I good. I guess that counts, yeah. <laughs> pretty good. I had to, I had to ask them to keep the noise down. It was that loud. <laughs> well, actually we have been, we have sure. been. Okay. Dave Lee had a charity bowling event oh, for many okay. years and he was there distracted with the, being the, you know, the leader of the event. I was a guest and Dana was playing drums That's in, right. in the band on a side. And I walked in, I didn't know it was my neighbor Dana. And I walked in and I thought, who who's playing those drums? And again, it was, and I learned over and he didn't even, he was kept them, you know, everything <laughs> going, the beat going, kept the beat going and greeted Charlie me all at Watts, the same baby. time. So yes, we, we were at a concert together. That was the connection I was looking for. Thank go. you. Great way to close this. Wow. Another great concert memory. All right. Well, a million questions. The beauty of, of this conversation is it could keep going and it does bring back good memories. And now you'll be back and, and relive some of those with sticks again. I will. And I think you got to pass it on. And, and, and if we've got time real quick, so, um, you talked to, you asked him if he's still spinning vinyl and he said, no, uh, my son, Mitchell, who's 26 is spinning vinyl now and the old vinyl that we had. 
and uh, he got into the Doobie Brothers. So uh, Mitchell and myself went and saw the 50th anniversary tour of the Doobie Brothers at the Minnesota State Fair last summer. And my son's a keyboardist also and, and played in, in high school. And, and, and Michael McDonald is, <clears throat> excuse me, his favorite Doobie brother. And we pull into the parking ramp. and We're all excited we're going to get there. And, and the, the gal at the parking ramp says, you coming here for the concert? And he says, yes, we are. We can't wait. And first thing she says is, did you hear? And I says, no, we haven't. Michael McDonald got covid and he won't be performing. Oh, and we had seats right oh, in front oh, 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 where he was going to be. Oh. And it was a great concert. But my son, you know, uh, as much as he wanted to see them, wanted to see Michael McDonald. Well, the 50th anniversary tour is still going on. And we're going to see them at Treasure Island at the Amphitheater where he's going to be there, but, uh, um, which, is, which is coming up here in September. But I think the cool thing is it's fun to see my son turning vinyl into music, some old stuff, Led Zeppelin, whatever, some new stuff along that line. And I think we kind of have to, have to con- continue to pass that on from generation to generation. Yeah, that's really cool. And the Doobie Brothers to this day sound like they did to me when I heard them recently, like they did 30 years ago. It was incredible. Yeah, they're still sharp. Yep, they are. One last thing. Go ahead, Brianne. I will say to all the parents, little PSA out there, it's not so much how they listen to music. I think it's great if people, it sounds better on vinyl. So it's good that they're doing that. But it more so, it's just the love of music that you pass on to your kids because that's, I don't always agree on it's Boz Skaggs 24 7 at my parents. I live with my parents. That's what it is. But Lido. I appreciate exactly Lido. Lido how much yourself. they love music, and I do too. What's your favorite? Boz Skaggs' favorite Boz Skaggs, Georgia. If Probably Lowdown. Lowdown? Yeah, it's a cool song. Yeah, I'd take Georgia. Yeah, he was red hot. You know where he was really good? I, I saw, I've seen him one time, and we saw him at the Minnesota Zoo when, when they were still doing concerts. And he just he blew everybody out of the water. He was so good. That was a great venue, and they're not doing it anymore out there. But Probably the only I, one I that I missed. I have a vague, vague memory. I may be off on this, but I think Boss Skaggs was at the old, not the hockey arena, but the baseball stadium with uh, as part of a concert out there with Boss Skaggs and... Can't remember who, but Not it was Midway. A, a Midway, no, no, problem. no, no, here in Bloomington. Met oh, Stadium? really? Oh, wow! I think, although my memory could be wrong there. Hey, thank you guys for coming in. That's uh, thanks, Dave. Really it's appreciate an honor that. that you asked us. Yeah, well, the, the feelings mutual. Uh, he is the former governor of Minnesota, Governor Tim Pawlenty, and uh, he is a former Major League Baseball pitcher, Dana Kicker, and this has been the My First Concert series, which we've just started. It's great to have you along with us here on the Talk North Podcast Network. Remember, you can listen to this wherever you get your podcasts at Apple, Spotify, or whatever it is. My First Concert. We look forward to talking to you next time again. And our thanks to Propane, the environmentally friendly energy for everyone.